let's dive in. Lucifer this weekend, last one of no more, or more bad vibes, I'm sorry. It's our last sermon season. We've built this entire sermon season on Ephesians 6, verse 12, which says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not our problem. We are not fighting against people, but against evil spirits, right? So I don't have people problems. My problem is an evil spirit. You don't have people problems. Your problem is? There we are. Your problem's evil spirits. And we've spent five weeks now going through these evil spirits. And this week, we are landing on the chief of them all, which is Lucifer. Let me give you a little theological context really quick when it comes to Satan, the devil, Lucifer. 17 names that describe the same person in scripture. They're in your sermon notes. Um, But let me give you two theological misconceptions right out of the gate that's gonna help you wrap your mind around what we've talked about this entire month and what we're talking about today. Here is the first one. Lucifer was an angel in heaven who rebelled against God. Revelation 12, seven through nine says this. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, catch this, was thrown down to the was thrown to the earth with his angels. Huge misconception is this, Satan is in hell. Satan is not in hell, Satan is here. Like, you have to understand, that's why this entire season, I have heard more feedback from this season than any other of people who are saying, I am dealing with exactly that. I'm dealing with a Jezebel. I'm dealing with an Absalom. I am a Judas. I am battling a Simon spirit right now. Today, man, the spirit of Lucifer, I am, I am battling that right now. Whether me or in my family or with people at work or what it may be, the reason why is it's here. The devil is not in hell waiting for the the people who don't make their decision to follow Jesus to come to him. He's here on earth and he is saying, who is a target for me? Who has their heart open towards me? Who's given to the things that we'll talk about today? Who's given to pride? Who's given to counterfeit? Who's given to deception and lying? Who's given to destruction and has a desire to see things torn down around them? Who's given to these things? Those are my targets. He's not in hell. He's here on earth. Couple more supporting verse. John 12, 31 says, the time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Listen to this prophecy in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How far you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth. This is where 
He's at, and he is here until the final judgment comes about. Revelation 21 through two. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. Skip a few verses to verse 10. Revelation 20, verse 10. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Second theological misconception is this. Satan is not in control of hell. He is the chief sufferer there. Satan is not in control of hell. So we we have to break this this whatever it's called that we formed in our mind that the devil is in hell and that's his place where he dwells and there's a ton of, that's his joy to see people come down and be a part of that torment with him. No, he is here on earth lingering, looking for those who would be given to his spirit and his desire is to destroy them because he already knows his sentence is destruction and when that day comes, he will be the chief sufferer in hell along with those who never decided to follow Jesus. This is not the devil has his own place and he's warring against God. No, his his sentence is already given. He's headed to hell and he's going to be the chief sufferer there. So number one, he's not in hell. He is here. Number two, he does not control hell. He is going to be the chief sufferer of hell. So now we wrap our minds around, and now the very last point makes sense. Why is Satan hell-bent, literally hell-bent on destruction? Hurting people love to hurt people. Hurting people love to to hurt people. He already knows what his sentence is and his goal is to bring destruction to everyone else around him that he can take with him to the place of suffering where he is headed. That is one thing that you will notice in this spirit. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it is someone who loves to see others not win but fail. It is someone who, they get more joy out of destruction, they get more joy out of failure, they get more joy out of a disaster than they do out of a victory. I am always very cautious of other pastors who celebrate the failings of other ones. Pastors who get really excited about the moral failure of this guy or the implosion of this church or that thing, all that tells me is this, they're more excited about their destruction than about the work that God was using them to do. That is much more like the spirit of Satan than it is the spirit of God. They do not celebrate victories, they celebrate destruction. So how does Satan go from being an angel to being thrown out of heaven to earth as the demonic force and destruction of the earth, sentenced to a life of suffering in hell. What happened? Four things. Here we go. Number one is pride. He was given to pride. He was the angel of pride. He was consumed with himself. Number two is pride led him to imitation. There was nothing real about him. What was inside was not what he was projecting on the outside. He was given to imitation. That imitation, in order to maintain it, required deception. He lies. and He is the father of lies, and there is no truth in him, and his end goal is not victory, but destruction. He knows where he's headed, and his goal is how many can I bring on the same path with me. You'll notice some similarities between Judas and 
and the Antichrist because they share, there are only two people that share the name son of perdition in scripture. It is Judas and the Antichrist. So there'll be a lot of carryover between these two spirits. Number one, here we go, pride. Cheers. This is the college service after all. Pride. Here we are, Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19. This is a prophetic vision of what Satan was and what he became. <clears throat> Son of man, sing this funeral song to the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection. Isn't that wild? Full of wisdom and exquisite beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. Red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue green barrel, onyx green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, emerald. All beautifully crafted and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led, to you, led you to love violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from the place among the stones of fire. Here it is, verse 17. Your heart was filled with pride. How do you go from chief of the angelic guard, anointed by God, the image of perfection, adorned in fine jewels, created and crafted to bring God glory to being full of pride, banished from the mountain of God, thrown to earth and sentenced to death in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Pride is the pathway. Pride is the thing we have to look out for. Pride is the thing we have to keep our eyes on. And usually when you see someone who's given their heart to this sort of spirit, there's an extraordinary gift attached to it. Usually, the people that I see that are just under this spirit of pride, of counterfeit spirituality, of lying and telling so many lies and never telling the truth and deceiving everybody to their own and everyone around them's destruction is usually someone who is ridiculously gifted. Whether it is a charisma that is just magnetic, that draws you in, whether it is the ability to sing or to play an instrument or to play a sport or to communicate or it is a look of Satan was the angel of beauty and music, right? Whether it was just this beauty, this God-given beauty or whatever it is, there was this gift that was given and that gift turned into a personal pursuit of glory. How do you get on the pathway of pride? You take the gifts that God has given you and you turn them into a pursuit for your own glory. 
You start looking for your own glory in it. You're no longer satisfied with what God has given you, but you want it to be now about you. What's interesting to me is this, and it makes sense. We've been talking about demonic oppression, demonic spirits, and demonic influence, and everything else, that every spirit that we've talked about this month has had a problem with pride. Jezebel used pride as a manipulation tool. Aren't you the king of Israel? How are you going to let him do that? Aren't you the king of Judah? You're the man, Ahab. Like She used pride as a place of manipulation. Absalom stole hearts with pride. What did he do to David? He went down to the city gates, he greeted the people, and he stole the hearts of the people and pridefully rose up in a rebellion that led him to, on the top of a roof, sleeping with all of David's women, right? To show, I am the man now. It was this pride that raised up in him. What was Judas? his problem his pride was hurt he expected something didn't get it unmet expectation led him to do what he never thought he would do his pride got hurt what was it with Simon it's so clear scripture tells us he went around telling everyone how great he was right I am great I am the great one I am the sorcerer All of these spirits had this pathway to destruction and the pathway started with pride. Pride is the thing we have to search our hearts for. We have to look within ourselves and say, have I given myself to pride? Is this more about me now and my glory than God and what God has gifted me and what God is doing in me? It becomes this pride. This self pride can, the most easiest way to define it is self-worship. It is me, mine, and everything I want. There is this pattern that the devil has used since the garden to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 to tempt people, and it is the pride of life. Here it is in 1 John 2, 15 through 16. It says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. Think about that passage really quickly for one second. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure. I need my needs met. I deserve to have my needs met. I should get what I want. I'm entitled to get what I want. Physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see. They got the latest edition of the Escalade, the upgraded body style. I should have that. I want that. I want what they have. I'm no longer satisfied with what I have. I want what they have. I'm not satisfied with the gifts that God has given me. I want more, and I want more to be about me, so I'll begin imitating those gifts, and I'll begin deceiving people that I have those gifts, and then if anyone questions me, I'll just tank the whole thing, and we'll all go to destruction together. I want everything I see. I can't scroll Instagram without lusting after something somebody else has that I think would make me happy. And then finally, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at how smart I am. Look at how talented I am. Look at how beautiful I am. Look at how fast I am. Look at how high I can jump. Look at how far I can throw. Look at how fast I can read. Look at 
me. Another translation would say, and this encompasses the pride of life. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. There is this Instagram account that I, I didn't find them, they found me. The algorithms knew, right? The algorithms knew I needed to see this account. Um, I'd tell you what it is, but man, the guy's language is really poor and I don't, I don't want to promote evil, but I mean, here, here's the whole premise of the account, right? He finds fitness influencers online and exposes them for editing their photos. And it is crazy. I'm talking like four or 500,000 followers selling nutrition plans, meal plans, workout plans to people, and their entire online image is fake. They're photoshopping themselves, and he is like this tech genius, this software genius, and he knows how to take the pictures and convert them back to the original picture, and he like blows them up, and he can show you like door frames moved in like this, where they suck their waist in, right? And like, there's like, he's like, door frames do not go like this. Like, that is someone squeezing on an image, and he, he exposed it, and it is insane. What's even more insane is the millions of dollars they've made on this fake image that they've created, but here is what really, really got me me. This was crazy. So he's showing one. And I mean, here's how he got into all of this. There was this guy who was posting transformational pictures of his clients, right? And he posted one. And this, this client, after his workout program and nutrition plan, was ripped. I mean, just totally shredded. And he posts the picture. Well, the client posted the same picture, the unedited version. <clears throat> so this guy takes it. And he's like, this is this picture, this is the one the fitness influencer posted, this is the one the actual person posted, and it is, it's nowhere close. The person still looks great, but it's, they don't have eight abs and you know, shoulders that are you know, 17 inches wide. It's, it's, not, it's not real, right? And so he starts looking through the pictures, and here's what was crazy, and he says this in every single one of them. He, he pulled up this guy who was like six foot four, 260 pounds, and I mean, he was massive. I am talking jacked. Like, he had tiny waist, had huge muscles, and he's posing all these pictures, and he takes the picture, and that was a picture that got posted on another platform. He, they tagged each other, whatever, and he's got the original image, and he's got the edited one. And this guy like enlarged his calves to make his calves look bigger. He pulled his waistline in. He, he broadened his shoulders out. He shrunk his head. He's like, why you got to shrink your head, dude? Like, that's just weird. You know, like, what do you want to shrink your head and make the shoulders look bigger? Whatever. And so he exposes all this, and then he shows the other picture. And here's what struck me, too. He was like, dude, why? Why? You look amazing in the original. And he did. I mean, the guy's in ridiculous shape, right? You don't, you don't have to go on there and make your calves a little bigger and your head a little smaller, right? Like, you, you look great. It's like, why would you do this? Here's why. Because he went from gratitude to glory. And when you go from gratitude to glory, it's no longer what you've been gifted with, but what you can get more of. And when your heart goes to that place, you're not satisfied with anything. It becomes pride. It becomes more about me. It becomes what can I enhance on me? I've already got everything that a person could ever need, but I want more. I need more. How do you break the spirit of pride? You give up glory for gratitude. You start living from a place of gratitude, not about self-glory. You start learning to make your gifts and offering to God and say, God, thank you for this, not 
Well, okay, but how do I get more? How do I make this more about me? Pride is the pathway with the Lucifer spirit. It is the on-ramp to people who start saying, I want more. I need this to be more about me. Then he rolls into imitation and counterfeit. Once pride starts, this follows quickly. Once pride and self-worship starts, this is the next step. And this is so interesting to me. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 13-15. These people are false apostles. He's talking about false teachers, Paul is. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Listen, verse 14, but I am not surprised Even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Isn't that interesting? Paul's saying, doesn't surprise me a bit. Satan is disguising himself. And it shouldn't surprise us. He was an angel. Remember that, right? Ezekiel chapter 28, the, the vision that we went through. He was an angel who knows what it looks like. He was in heaven, he was with God, he was in the mountain of God, he had access to God, he was crafted by God to be the angel guardian over a realm of angels, right? He knows what it looks like, he knows how to manufacture it. So it says, but I am not surprised even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguised themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get their punishment for their wicked deeds, for their wicked deeds deserve. This spirit, I'll just tell you, is a master at the counterfeit. They know how to walk through those doors and walk into this room and fit in better than you do. They know the language to say, they know the things to do, they know the places to volunteer to serve, they know the people to connect with, they can look at a room and they can, they know how to present themselves as something they're not. Second Thessalonians 2.9, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. They are highly skilled at counterfeit spirituality. If you have pride, you can't have true spirituality. Those two are at odds with each other. They're fighting with each other. So in order to overcompensate, what do you have to do? Act like you're something you're not. Present yourself as something that you're not. This one's interesting to me. Revelation 13, 11 through 15. Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. You see again the deception. This is the Antichrist rising to power wearing the costume of a lamb. He's saying, look, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He exercised all the authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to the earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. We're talking about Jesus, verse 15. He was then permitted to give life to this statue, 
so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. This is a master at counterfeit. If you are, if you are battling this spirit, somebody else who has this spirit, you have to begin recognizing the counterfeit. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you, and you'll begin to say to yourself, man, they say all the right things, they do all the right things, they act in the right way, but there is something off. There is, when I have encountered this spirit, and I've been deceived by this spirit, it is amazing once exposed the amount of people that will come and say, man, I had a bad feeling. Something felt off there. This spirit is a master at the counterfeit. I had a friend who, uh, incredibly successful businessman, and one of his best pieces of advice that he gave me, he said, you know, he does a ton of real estate development, owns a massive construction company, super talented guy, very, very blessed, um, and gives much, all the glory to God. But he, he said to me, he said, Here, here's the best advice I can give you. Learn to discern between the counterfeit and the real thing. He said, here's what I have realized. When I'm looking at a big deal and a big deal has come my way and I'm deciding whether to do it, it, there, there, it seems like the devil always presents a counterfeit before God's real thing. And he said, if I take the counterfeit, I could over leverage myself or put myself in a position where I'm fully invested in a project. And then when the real thing comes along, I'm not able to jump in it because I bit on the counterfeit. So one of the first things that I ask myself is, Lord, is this you or is this the enemy dressed up like you? Is this what you have for me, or is this the enemy trying to deceive me? Vance Harvner, who is a, an Old Testament theological expert, he says this. He says, if the devil were to come to town in a body, you wouldn't find him in a nightclub or in a gambling hall. You would more likely find him in a pulpit with a doctorate, drawing a salary for denying his own existence. Isn't that interesting? Listen to 1 John 4, 1. It says, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. Listen, you don't listen to everything. You test everything. Under, you are not supposed to listen to everything. One of the things that drives me nuts is social media theologians. I saw this one minute video and now I want to call into question everything that I've heard here. Do, like, will you, will you not listen to everything and test everything? Will you take 45 minutes to an hour? Usually I love what Kerry Newhoff said. He said most people's worldviews can be absolutely destroyed in three questions or less. He's like, just ask three questions and you can usually get to the root of truth. The problem is we're willing to listen to everything and not test anything. We're commanded to do the exact opposite. How does a spirit of pride, of imitation, of deception and destruction exist? We listen. We listen to it. We allow it to talk to us and this space of counterfeit. And I will just, I will tell you, 
if you are in here, you may be fooling everyone else around you, but if this spirit of counterfeit exists in you, if you are someone different in your heart than what you present to everyone else around you, that is the number one place for introspection. That's the place you have to start leaning into because that is the place where your next step is now deception. You can't make it through. You've been given to pride and now you've created this fake persona because the truth can't exist in you and the only way to keep this fake persona is to lie about it. Is to start telling lies about who you are. Is to start lying to people who love you. Start lying to those close to you. You either lie about it or you break it. You break it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you a, a funny story. Um, when, when I was a kid, uh, we, we had this friend, his name was Jack, and he was, he was the rich kid of our, our school. You know, his parents were attorneys, and, and he, he, they had a really, really cool house. We always went over there. And they had this office where his parents did all their work, you know. And they had this printer, like the best printer that you can get. And we were in the office. And when we were in there, uh, there was a $20 bill on the desk. And literally, one of my friends just took it and put it under the copier and pressed scan. And it scanned and it printed out the $20 bill. And it looked exactly like the 20 We were like, what? This is insane. Like, look at that. Like, look, this is, and then we were like, do you think we can make a $20 bill? We're like, let's try. So then we put the paper back in and you got to flip it over and you got to position it right so that it prints right on the back side, you know, and then put the 20 back in there, flip the 20 over and press print. And we started messing with it and we were like, man, this is looking really good. Do you think it would work? And we watched this video online and they're like, well, you got to wrinkle it up and put it in the dryer with a towel to get it the right paper texture and all this. So then we print it off and we wrinkle them up and we put it in the dryer and we let it run for a little bit and we take it out. Next thing you know, we've created this counterfeiting operation right? We're like, dude, we're rich. We've made 20s. This is amazing. But the only way you know if it works, right, you got to put it to the test. I feel like I'm about to admit to a felony to you all, right? Um, let me just precursor this by saying it was my friend Rob that used it. Rob, Rob, Spring Hill, Kansas, Rob Ralston, you'll find him. Um, so, we're all, we, we've got these 20s, right? And we're like, man, we need to see if these work. So we went to our school, and this was back when the lunchroom had a cashier. Miss Horner was our cashier. And she would sit at the front. You had no lunch money. You didn't eat. So we are like, okay, uh, Rob, you're the one. Dude, see if the 20 works. And so Rob takes the 20, and, and we're all like sitting back at the lunch table, you know, and we're just watching. It's like undercover, right? We're like, do we have a millionaire's plan to all get rich? And Rob goes up, and he walks in line, and he's looking back at us. He's like, <laughs> it's a he hands the 20 to Miss Horner. Miss Horner takes the 20, presses, cash register opens. She puts it in there, closes it, credits his account. And he, Rob's looking at us, like, and we're like, what? We made it, baby. Like, we're living in Mexico. This is amazing. It worked, right? We've got 20s. And then something happened. And this is what we didn't account for. Rob comes back, and he sits down. And then every time Rob's name was called, we were freaking out. Like a teacher would be like, hey, Rob. Like, oh, I didn't do it. I swear. It's my friends. They made me do it. It, was, it wasn't real, and I know it, and I'll, I'll, I'll pay you the real 20. Right? Like, it was just terrifying because he, his name would get called over the intercom. We only did it with 120. Those of you that are wondering, how did Luke get here today? I made a bunch of fake money. No. Um, so 
We did it once, but here is what we didn't account for. You can counterfeit everything that you want, and everyone around you may buy into the lie, but eventually it's going to get right here. And that's what you have to begin dealing with. If you are someone who, you don't need to put it on display, you won't, pride, right? But if you've been given to pride, and now all of a sudden your pride is causing you to counterfeit your spirituality around you, this is what I want you to hear. That may work on the short term, but it will never satisfy your soul. It will never answer the questions of your soul. It will never let peace like a river flow to your soul. And you can convince everyone, your family, your friends, the people you're dating, and everyone else that you got it all together on the outside. But if you've given to this counterfeit imitation right here, that's the place to start the deep work. That's the place to start the hard work. And then if you don't, here's where it heads, which is to deception. This is the only way to maintain pride and imitation is deception. Genesis 3, we'll start at the beginning, verse 13. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and here's what happens. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate. 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Listen to John 8.44, for you are the children of your father, the devil. We're not just talking about the devil, but we're talking about children of the devil who have given themselves to this spirit, pride, opened up the pathway and they gave themselves to pride and the only way to maintain that pride is to begin imitating and counterfeiting everything around them so now they've gone to this place of counterfeit and here's where we are you are of your father the devil and you love to do the evil things he does he was a murderer from the beginning he has always hated the truth do you realize pride and imitation and the truth cannot exist in the same place Because, he says, there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. This lying has become so rooted, it's no longer something they do, it's who they are. He's saying it is now consistent with his character, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. They are, they, they are someone who now is just given to lying, and it's constant lying, and it doesn't even matter what it's about. It, sometimes it doesn't, it's not even relevant. It's just lying after lie after lie. They lie about what they had for lunch, lie about what time they wake up in the morning, lie about, like, why? They tell the lie and then walk away and say to themselves, why did I just lie about that? Like there's not even a reason to lie about it. You know why? It's because lying is not what you're doing. Lying is what you're becoming. It's becoming consistent with your character. You have no choice now but to lie. It's all that you know is to lie. All you can do is lie. And it's over little things. It's over irrelevant things. It's over things that don't matter. And it's over massive issues that impact your marriage, your children, your family, your spirituality. It is just constant lying. I made this commitment 
to my, my kid, Canaan, and I have it to all my kids, but he's the one that really holds me to it. I told him we were walking through a situation and he was asking me tough questions, tough questions. And it's easy to lie to your kids, but it's wrong. Listen to me, it's easy to lie to your kids, but it's wrong. Your kids ask you about, I know there's kids in here, December 25th, your kids ask you about these things. I, I'm personally, I tell my kids, you'll, I, there will never be a moment where you'll look back on our history together of me being your father and catch me in a lie to you. I'm not gonna lie to you, but I'm not gonna tell you everything. There's a difference, right? I will look at you and say, but I'm not gonna lie to you. They did some very inappropriate things that has cost them a lot, I, well, what did they do? I can't tell you what they did. You're not in a space to hear that, but you need to hear, it's, it'd be so much easier to say, oh, they moved away. Oh, they moved away, no big deal, everything's good, right? But I'm not gonna let my son catch me in a lie. So he comes to me one time, and, and we're having this conversation, and he says to me, he says, Dad, I asked him about something, and he said, Dad, I'm never gonna lie to you. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. And he said, I'm also not gonna tell you everything. I said, no, 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 no. Like, that works for dad. That doesn't work for you. But, but here's what we created. We created a culture where truth is of the utmost importance. And he knows that, and I know that. So we have this commitment, and, and this is the commitment that you have to make. You have to, have to make a commitment to lying or a commitment to truth. You can't have both. You can't lie about one area of your life, tell the truth in another area of your life, and think that you're developing a character and culture of truth. Does not work that way. So how do you fight against lying? You get the truth in you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's gonna set you free. It's gonna set you free from lying. It's gonna set you free from deception. It's gonna set you free from imitation. It's going to set you free from your character becoming that which lies about everything and you don't even know why you're lying. You got to get the truth in you. You got to get the truth in you. You got to create a culture of truth around you. I tell our employees here, I say, listen, I love you. We're going to work together and we're going to work really hard together. You lie to me once, you're fired. You lie, you're fired because we're not going to create a culture of lying. We're not gonna have a culture in our office of lying. We're not gonna have a culture in our church of lying. You lie to me, you're fired. No, no questions asked. I find out it's a lie, you're off staff. Why? Because we create a culture of truth. In your home, you create a culture of truth. With your children, you create a culture of truth. And that truth is based on the truth of God's word. How do you heal this in your heart? You go back to a foundation of building your character and your heart in truth. And you create a culture of truth. And you have a high value of truth. And you commit to truth in every area of your life. And then we finish here with destruction. This spirit goes to one place and one place only, destruction. And the cynical side of it is it finds joy in destruction. Why? Because this spirit already knows their fate. You have to understand, the devil knows where he's going. The devil knows where he's going, the devil knows what's happening, and he is here, and he is looking for those that he can bring down with him. He is not one that wants to go suffer alone. John 10.10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying 
life. Do you see the difference? One wants rich and satisfying, the other doesn't care as long as you don't get there. They want you destroyed. They want everything in your life wrecked. First Peter 5 eight says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Um, was spending a lot of time last night and this morning, like how, how do you wrap up a five-week sermon season on demonic and evil spirits. Like, where do you go and, and where do we go from here? I know I've said a lot about gratitude. I, I blew up in the first service our incoming sermon season that we're moving into in November. I'll tell you about it here in a moment. I just, I changed it literally during service, but felt the prompting this morning. Uh, where do we go? I think we start where we began, because this can be overwhelming. In fact, if that's one of, the, one of the biggest feedbacks or takeaways I've received from this sermon season has been from groups that are talking about it, to people that are walking through it, to even on our own staff, it's like this is overwhelming in a really good way. Like not overwhelming in a bad way, but overwhelming in like a my goodness, I am in a spiritual war. I'm in a battle and I see these spirits popping up everywhere, what do we do? Let's start where we began. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, 12 has been our bedrock, our bedrock scripture this entire sermon season. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. You hear that? Be strong in his power, put on his armor, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. My problem is not people, my problem is evil spirits. Verse 13, therefore, this is our answer. This is where we're headed the next four weeks. This is our new sermon season. We've spent five weeks exposing one verse of this incredible passage of all of the evil that we come against, what it looks like, how it manifests itself against us, how it attacks us, how we battle it on our own. This is what we spent five weeks doing. Therefore, here's the answer. Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. That's November. That is good. And that's November. Let me leave you with this illustration to prepare us how to come out of this one and move in to the next one. My daughter has become an expert at clogging sinks at our house. Like she's just, whether she knows how to take slime and Play-Doh and toys and create the most perfect consistency to clog a sink, the worst you've ever like seen it, right? She just, she knows how. So the upstairs bathroom sink was clogged. I started with a butter knife. 
right? So I'm there and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get all this stuff out with a butter knife. And then I got my fingers at the end of it because I can't get down far enough. So then I moved to a metal coat or a metal, uh, metal hanger, right? So then I got a metal hanger. I straightened it out and I'm trying to get all this stuff out and it's just not coming out. So I get on YouTube, right? What do you do when you can't fix a problem? You go to YouTube. So I go to YouTube and I'm like, how do I unclog a drain? And this guy was on there and he's like, you need a drain auger. And I was like, man, I need a drain auger. That's how you unclog it, right? So I go to Home Depot, and I, I just walk to the, the, the guys there. I was like, hey, I need a drain auger. And he's like, well, do you want one that goes on a power tool? And I'm like, I don't even know what it is. Just take me to the drain augers, right? I know I need one. So he takes me there, and I get to the drain augers. And, I'm, and right when I saw it, I was like, hold on. I don't, I don't need one of these. I have one of these. And I went back home and I went to, my grandfather gave me this old tool chest, handmade wooden tool chest. And I've seen what's in it a few times. And I went back and I opened up that tool chest. And when I opened it up, sure enough, I had a drain auger in there. I was like, what? I got everything I need. I'm up there with a drill, like just ripping stuff out of the drains, right? I'm like, I, I have what I need. The crazy thing was I had what I needed the whole time. I just didn't know it. And here's what I want to tell you when we wrap up a season, five weeks on Evil Spirit. You have everything you need to win this battle. Come on, you have everything you need to win this battle. You may feel like you've been beat up and worn out and tore up from the floor up and everything else. You have everything you need to win this battle. What you need to do is dust off the tools, get them to work, and start winning your spiritual battle. That's where we're heading in November, and I think that's where God's landing more bad vibes.